Well, good evening. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. I thank you, Father, for these words that you have spoken. And I pray, Father, that only your words would be heard tonight. I pray, Father, that it would prick our hearts and open our minds so that we can not only hear but apply the words that you have given to us today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when I go backpacking into the wilderness, I'm always prepared. I, um, I map out the location down to the parking lot. I research the type of terrain, the temperature. I look at the type of hike. I look at the availability of water. I take into account the level of difficulty of the hike. I think of things like elevation changes. How difficult will it be to make that climb? I think about will there be the availability of water? Is it rocky ground versus pine forest so I know which shoes to take? I make sure I have emergency contacts. Then I think about what it will take to be successful just on the hike itself. Food, clothing, water, those kinds of things, shelter. My fitness and the fitness level of those that I'm backpacking with. And then what is my mind like? Am I in a positive state of mind in tackling this mountain or not? I lay out all of my gear the night before. I kind of set it out and I try to get it on a tarp and, and look, at, look at it to make sure that everything's ready to go. So the preparation for just an overnight or maybe a multi-day hike is pretty detailed. Jesus was also fully prepared. He was prepared to take on Satan and preparing for a simple backpacking trip while it's important there's a much more important preparation in mind that is the preparation for addressing temptation and sin so the questions I have for you today is do you prepare for these confrontations to sin do you know how to prepare do you know the purpose for your preparation and do you trust in the provision of God when encountering the temptation. These questions form the basis of our discussion of the text today in Luke 4, 1 through 13. And I invite you to turn to Luke 4, 1 through 13. Let's read it together. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and they... And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given to me, been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, 
do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So the main idea is this. Jesus is the only solution to Satan's attempts to make us doubt the purpose, plan, and provision of God. Let me say that one more time. The main idea is that Jesus is the only solution to Satan's attempts to make us doubt the purpose, plan, and provision of God. As we study this discourse narrative between Jesus and Satan, what we see is Jesus is in a battle with Satan, which is demonstrated basically in four sections through this text. The first section is Jesus' spiritual condition prior to the temptations in verses 1 and 2. Section 2, the temptations of Satan himself, verses 3 through 12. And those are broken down in the first temptation, which is doubting God's purpose, verses 3 and 4. The second temptation is doubting God's plan, verses 5 through 8. And the third temptation, doubting God's provision, verses 9 through 12. Section 3 are the responses of Jesus. It's the same 3 through 12 verses, but you'll see Jesus' response to Satan's temptations. And then finally, section 4 is the outcome. And I want you to anchor on this. Sin is always near because of Adam's sin, but we have the better Adam that has conquered sin forever. Thinking about verse 13 there. So four sections around two main points. The first point is Jesus' spiritual preparation for his battle was critical. It was critical. And number two, be aware. Satan will attempt to make you doubt the purpose of God, the plan of God, and the provision of God at every moment. So our response to temptation, you'll hear this more than once in the sermon, Our response to temptation exposes our level of trust in God's plan for us. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, God never entices us to disobey him. James tells us in James 1 through 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Rather, our temptations arise from within, from the heart. Those temptations may be excited and inflamed by force us outside, but God himself never inclines us to sin. But the second part of that James text is is beautiful, right? But deliver us from evil. Evil in general would be translated, which literally means not evil itself, but the evil one. The fancy Greek word for the day is poneros, and it's a title given to the prince of lies, Satan himself. So Jesus is saying that you may be protected from the hands of Satan himself. So moving to the two main points, the spiritual condition of Jesus, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Similar to what Trey was teaching us and has been teaching us in 1 Peter, Peter starts by identifying his position and his authority. And Luke does the same in the text we're in today. Luke establishes the deity deity of Jesus 
also in the following ways in the first three chapters of Luke prior to our text today. Let me just give you a couple of examples of that. The angels claim Jesus as the Messiah. Messiah, it means anointed one, right? Deliverer of the messianic prophecy fulfilled in Jesus through his mission, his death, his resurrection, and eventual return. John the Baptist claimed that Jesus is Messiah. Genealogy claimed Jesus' royal line as Messiah. And then God himself identifies Jesus as his son with whom he is well pleased. So we see positionally that Jesus is God in the flesh with all power, all authority to carry out this redemptive mission for mankind. So Jesus' spiritual preparation for his battle was critical and it was powered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. We see that in the very first part of our text. Full means to be saturated with. It means to be completely permeated through and through. Everything that Jesus thought or did was in complete concert with the Holy Spirit. Similar texts in Scripture allow us to also see this fullness of of the Holy Spirit at work. And I just wanted to give you a couple of examples there. Acts 6.3 records that the seven men chosen to serve in the early church were men full of the Holy Spirit. They were in concert with the Holy Spirit. Acts 7.55 records Stephen, when confronted by the Sanhedrin, was full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So being full of the Holy Spirit is a journey, and it will last all our lives. But it should be our goal, right? As it, it is the only way to engage Satan and overcome his temptations. Jesus' submission to the Holy Spirit allowed him to always and completely do the will of the Father. So the question becomes, is that your goal? Is that your goal in your walk with the Lord? Is your goal to become completely saturated through and through with the Holy Spirit? Or do you still kind of like risking temptation? Do you kind of like walking on the wild side sometimes? Or are you sincerely interested as a Christian in becoming the best version of the Christian that you can be? Jesus' best version of himself was to be fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. He laid aside his divine attributes and trusted in the strength and the purpose and the plan of the Father completely, 100%. Jesus' purpose for being tempted was to actively engage Satan. He willingly engaged Satan. I think sometimes you read this text and it's almost like, so Jesus went to the wilderness and he had to respond to Satan. It's not the case. He willingly, actively engaged. Jesus resolutely confronted Satan in order to prove his power over Satan and to also establish once and for all his position as Messiah. If Jesus cannot overcome Satan, then he cannot overcome sin. If he doesn't overcome sin, then we cannot be saved from sin and also be resurrected to a new life. But he did, and he continues to conquer Satan. 
Just another example, overcoming Satan even at the cross three days later. His resurrection. Matthew 28, 8 explains how Satan attempted to destroy the Christian faith by killing Jesus and leaving him in his tomb. But we know the glorious truth. Jesus Christ was raised and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And the resurrection is central to the Christian faith. In fact, it is the heart of the Christian faith. All other truths, doctrines, and beliefs found in the Bible center around the resurrection. 2 Corinthians teaches us that when God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus had accomplished the mission to save mankind and provide new birth to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that Jesus actively engaged and pursued Satan's attempts to hinder and defeat him. It actually allowed Jesus the opportunity to demonstrate his perfect, sinless grace filled ministry to save those who call on him for the forgiveness of sin. So, with all of that, let's look at the three temptations described and see how God prepared, protected, and provided. The first temptation, verses three and four. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, man must not live on bread alone. The big word here is trust. Capital letters. Trust in God's purpose for your life, and it will bring the fullest life possible. And we're going to have a, hear this verse more than once in the sermon, but Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So it is trusting in the good, the bad, the wonderful, the sad, the time of plenty, and the time of loss. Maybe it's the loss of a job, sickness, promotion, new babies, marriages, your children following Christ, and on and on that God uses to bring about his purposes and our sanctification, which is a Bible word which simply means to become more like Jesus. It tells us that Jesus was hungry, verse 2. I think it would bear mentioning that if you or I were in the wilderness for 40 days with no food, we would be hungry. In fact, we might be dead. So it stands to reason that Jesus was probably more than just hungry but famished. Satan knew this as he had been battling Jesus during those 40 days. So he uses the combination of Jesus' power and his human weakness to cause him to doubt God's purpose for him. Satan wanted Jesus to admit that God was making Jesus starve and to just take matters into his own hands. Make yourself some bread because God isn't taking care of you. But Jesus recognizes Satan's deceit and clearly makes it known that he only follows the will of the Father. Even if the Father made it known that it wasn't quite time to eat yet. What sustains a person is not food, not just food, sorry, but obedience to everything that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' statement that man lives not by bread alone is very vivid as we look to some comparisons between the Israelites and Jesus. Even though the Israelites were provided with food, water, and protection, they sinned against God and were made to wander for 40 years until an entire sinful generation was judged and killed. Jesus completed his time in the wilderness in perfect obedience. 
and perfect, perfectly sinless against Satan's temptations. Jesus makes it clear what our food is, what our purpose is. Matthew 6, 31 and 33. So do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now again, as we learned yesterday in the men's retreat about laziness, we're not saying that you just forget all these things. You don't work hard. You don't try and provide for your family and yourself. But what he's saying is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided unto you. God knows what our needs are. So seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. So trust in God first. Obey him first. Trust in him with everything and don't worry about food, drink, clothing, etc. God will meet our needs if we follow his purpose. The second temptation, verses 5 through 8. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time, the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me. And I can give it, excuse me, I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In this temptation, Satan proposes the alternative to God's plan for redemption and God's plan for worshiping him. Satan wanted to hinder God's plan for how he would redeem mankind, and he wanted to hinder the plan of God, which is worship from his creation. Why? What was Satan's motivation? Well, Satan wanted worship. Satan had a lust for worship. Satan's selfish pride and lust for power and his hatred of God is what was being challenged and was what was the cause of his removal from heaven itself. If Jesus worshipped Satan, then Satan would be elevated above God. If we worshipped Satan, then we would be like every system of the world's religions that are outside of Christianity. We would elevate self. We would each have our own standard of right and wrong. We would not have a system of government. We would worship our desires and feed them at all cost. We would care less for others. We would not be as loving, as patient, as kind, as peaceful, since we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit's leading in directions. We would be in our own wilderness, wandering from sin to sin with no hope. And our eternal life would be just what we deserve, death, judgment, and eternal punishment for those sins. Praise God that a believer doesn't have this current state or eternal state in view. Praise God that a believer has joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and love for others. Praise God that God, that through his love, he has provided a means of acquiring forgiveness and eternal joy. Praise God for his provision, his purpose, and his plan for mankind. It is only through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus emphatically rejected Satan's blasphemous suggestion, as John MacArthur states it. Jesus then goes on to properly recite an Old Testament passage found in Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Jesus refused to leave the narrow road and step outside of God's plan. Jesus needed no shortcut to glory. He was ready and willing and able to follow God's plan no matter what the cost. So here's the second set of questions. Does that define your walk with God? Are you ready, willing, and able to follow God no matter what the cost? Do you walk the talk and represent your Savior, our Savior, in a way that brings Him glory, regardless of the current season of life that you find yourself in? Does that define you? The third temptation, verses 9 through 12. In this temptation, we see Satan moving from the barren wilderness into the very center of civilization, the temple of Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem would be viewed basically as the most sacred and safe place to avoid Satan's evil. And that's where he takes him. Now look at Satan's quotation of Scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Remember, Satan's quote of Scripture is accurate. But the interpretation of it conflicts with everything else the Word of God says. Satan didn't want to see the angels prevent Jesus from being hurt, especially if he jumped from the pinnacle. Rather, he was baiting Jesus to jump to his death. It basically allows Jesus to say, if I jump from this pinnacle, I would be putting God to the test, and it is not allowable for me to put God to the test. God is testing me, and I don't have to jump off this temple to know that the angels will guard me. Because my father says it, I don't need to test it, and I don't need to test him. Because as Jesus would say later, his word is truth. Jesus then quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Jesus is using this temptation to allude to another temptation that the people of Israel failed. At Horeb, the people were thirsty, and they lacked faith in God that he would provide them water, even though God did provide. In this scenario, it was made clear that the lack of faith and trust from the Israelites, even after God's continual miraculous care and guidance, Jesus never lacked in that faith and trust in the Father and made it clear that he would trust and not test the Father because, again, God's word is truth. So what does all this mean for us? I said earlier that Jesus is the better Adam. Sin is always near, but Jesus is the better Adam. The first Adam walked in a perfect perfect land filled with everything that he needed and or wanted. Adam never was hungry or thirsty, yet when tempted, gave in to his desires for more and sinned against the Lord. Jesus was in a wilderness that was a barren, dry wasteland without food or water for 40 days. He was tempted, as Scripture says, in every way and every day for those 40 days, and yet was perfectly obedient to the Father and perfectly sinless. He conquered Satan and the power of sin and, pr- and provided, proved, sorry, to be the only acceptable payment for the justice that God demanded for Adam and humanity's sin. 
One last observation of the Israelites to Jesus is the comparison here of the wilderness itself. As we know, the Israelites gave in to the temptation to worship other gods and cast aside God and follow the golden image of the calf. And God punished the Israelites by causing them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they still disobeyed. And an entire generation was lost. Unlike Israel, Jesus resists these temptations by relying on God's word. He is the man that the people of Israel, and like Adam before them, were meant to be, but never were. As parallels to the temptations of Israel in Deuteronomy and in Matthew 4, these temptations in Luke are not unique to Jesus. The Israelites sinned against God by not trusting in him, not obeying him. So in contrast to Israel, Jesus says, I'll trust God. I'll obey God. I'll obey God in every way, and I'll trust God to do that for me, whatever he needs to do. Keep me alive physically and spiritually. All I'm concerned about is seeking the kingdom. My food, John 4.34 says, is to do the will of him who sent me. As Jesus conquered the curse of sin, he can and will conquer your and my sin. He's the only way to perfectly cover our sin. The Bible word for covering a sin is atonement. He has conquered sin and rose from the grave to provide a perfect sinless example of what you and I can have if we just place our trust in him to cover our sin with his blood. Only Jesus can do this, and he wants desperately to make this a reality for every sinner. Call on him. Call on him to be your savior. Call on him to be the Lord of your life, and he will do it. So as we finish out here, what's the application? What's in it for us? What's the whiffum? People must be aware of the outcome of falling into Satan's temptation. This is spiritual death, right, versus spiritual life. So does unrepentant, unchecked, currently define your path? Sin, sorry. Or are you preparing a way that overcomes sin? 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So the beauty of it is God knows every temptation. There's nothing new under the sun. He's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know Matt was sinning like that. Never heard of that one. He knows everything that is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, it says, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Endure it. Sometimes removing it, right? But providing a way to endure it. One of the most important things to remember is that temptation is common to us. Feeling tempted does not make you a bad person or a weak Christian. It just makes you human. But the second half of that verse is my favorite. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Jesus understands our sinful nature so well. He knows that most of the time our intentions are good. But he also knows that we are not strong enough to fight temptation on our own. So what are some actions that we can take as we close out here? Our responsibility is to be watchful for our besetting sin. Each of you sitting here right now, including myself, knows what that besetting sin is in your life. Understand it. Be watchful for it. 
and ask God for his strength to fight temptation because we can't do it without him. Number two, be in concert with the Holy Spirit. How does that work? Well, Romans 12, 2 encourages us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This renewal can only occur as the Holy Spirit changes our way of thinking through what? The study of the Word. That's number two. Number three is trusting God's plan, and it will be given to you the fullest life possible. Coming back to that kind of anchor verse, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. The question becomes, how do I trust in circumstances all of those things that God has me in right now? What does He mean when He tells me that all things work together for my good? The passage refers to all things. That's good and bad, right? Sufferings tend to purge us, though, from our corrupt passions and lusts. And it causes us who are predisposed to worldly temptations to die to the world in sin and become heavenly, holy, and divine. Whatever increases these characteristics must increase our happiness here and in the hereafter, especially in the hereafter. God will reward us in a future state for our sufferings in this life if we patiently endure them. So all things may very well be worldly, spiritual, emotional. These are just some examples. Things like sexual sin. That's a thing which may be exposed and when it has to be dealt with and maybe through biblical discipline. This thing, as the Bible calls it, ultimately draws a believer to understand and be restored in a relationship with Christ and his community, which is the body of believers, which is OBC. Maybe another example of things is you get a job promotion and it brings this wellspring of financial freedom to you. This thing causes you to analyze your giving patterns and you realize maybe you could be giving more instead of keeping that money and you're tempted to withhold it. Or you overcome that temptation and you start to provide your local church with larger offerings or become an anonymous giver to those in need within the body. Jesus' protection through trust in the Father, as I said before, our response to God's will exposes our level of trust in Him. So this is the crux of the matter, right? At the end of the day, when we are tempted to sin, it all comes down to how much you and I truly believe and trust in God that He will do what He says. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. This is an encouragement. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Take refuge in him, and he will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And lastly, the word of God shows us that our heart isn't a separate part of our being. Our heart is a composition basically of three components. It's your soul, your mind, and your conscience. The conscience is the most important part of that as it is our spiritual compass that 1 Timothy 3.9 talks about. And it says, Holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, also interpreted a good conscience, God has written his law on man's heart and given us the standard of right and wrong. It is the conscience that produces fear, guilt, shame, or doubt when we are tempted to do wrong. But it is this same God-given conscience 
that when we do God's will, we enjoy affirmation, assurance, and peace. As Nacelli and Crowley put it in their book, The Conscience, what it is, how to train it, and loving those who differ, only the cross can fill that ever-widening gap between your conscience and what we ought to be in our actual obedience. Fall in greater love with Jesus and the gospel and prayer, and your conscience will follow. And finally, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can have rest and relief from the world's temptations. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Follow Jesus and free your soul from the burden of sin and he will make a way for you using life's circumstances. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for providing a Savior who knows our daily temptations, yet was able to overcome all of them without sin. We love you, Lord Jesus, and ask that you help us to understand the preparation, purpose, and plan God has to save those who call on you, and that we would continue the battle to your glory and honor and praise. Amen.